Good stuff right there. Right? Oh, man. I love it. Glisten the band. What a just, oh, I love Christmas. Love this season. Love the lights. Love the decorations. Love the music. Right? It's a great time of year, right? We get that feeling of all the, the warm fuzzies and all that good stuff, right? I, I love it that every year we always ask, right? When, is, when do we start playing Christmas music? Maybe for you, where's, let's just randomly, a show of hands, is, is that before Thanksgiving? If you're before Thanksgiving, is that you? Let me, come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy, right? I know it's like, hey, when do we start doing decoration? You got all your Christmas stuff taken care of? You got all your, <laughs> not, not at all. I just love it. It's just the time of year is... I think we so desperately love it just because of, man, what, what, that, what this season encapsulates, right? Of just that baby in a manger, that hope, that peace, the joy, the love, the generosity, so much good stuff. And I think it's why we're so either anxious or excited to start playing music, Christmas music. So uh, glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, it's, it's been a while, so I am, I am pumped to be up here with you as we continue in our series and so gracious and glad that Mr. Allen could bring the word today on St. Nicholas. Um, did a great job with our kiddos. I know my daughter cannot wait to be on stage to hear the story of St. Nick, so it was really cool to see that. Um, but when we talk about this time of year, right, we talk about traditions. Maybe you have various traditions when it comes to Christmas, things you do every year to kind of check the box as a family. I remember growing up in Louisville, Kentucky at a time in the 80s and 90s where the, where the mall was a, a, a bustling hub of social interaction, where everyone went to the mall. That's what they did. I know it's not probably as much anymore, but that's what you did every year. And so our tradition was the, this man, this Santa Claus that was around the fountain square of our mall would sit there on his glorious throne and kids from all over the region would descend upon St. Matthew's Mall and wait in the line for, at times, hours, right? And you'd have their parents bringing them and maybe grandparents, that's what our routine was. Our parents would go, my grandparents would go and you would see this, this kind of glorious thing maybe play out. You have the kids that enjoyed this idea uh, of sitting on this stranger's lap and then you had the sociopathic parents who would put the kids on the lap who are losing their ever-loving mind and trauma is setting in, <laughs> right? And they're like, smile. They're like, no, get me out of here, right? I love it. You just have a fun Google search of that today. All the great fun photos from that time. And so we would do this. We would go, we would wait. And for me, it was no big deal. Here's the deal. I had an agenda every Christmas. I had an agenda. I had a list that needed to be accomplished. And so if that helped me sitting on this man's lap, let's make it happen. If I could acquire all the transformers in the known world and he could help me do that, hey, I'll sit on your lap and we're going to read through all of these transformers that I need this year, right? I need this Optimus Prime, Santa. I got to have it. We got to get it this year. I've been asking for two years and haven't gotten it yet. You, you, you got to deliver, man, right? And so I would do this. We would have this great dialogue back and forth. It was a good time. But see, I had a younger sister, Lindsay. And maybe you have this in your household as well. Lindsay didn't play up to systems, and she didn't enjoy Santa Claus and sitting on his lap, this stranger who was just sitting there, and she didn't do it. She, she was not into this game. She didn't cry or anything. She was just obstinate. Like, she says, I'm not doing this. She'd stand cross-armed outside the aisle, just sitting back, watching me, like, what are you doing? Like, why do you do this? And so every year we would do this, Santa, it would be his, it would become his thing. Is that, is that your little sister out there? I'm like, yes. 
Santa, she's a mess, man. She's just, you know, you don't, you know, she doesn't do these things. She's just, he's like, well, I, you know, I think we can get her down here and say, oh, okay, well, you don't know Lindsay well, right? I th- you know, you sh- you're supposed to know all of them, but you don't obviously know her that well, right? right? And so I inevitably get done with my list, and, and Santa would then turn to Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay, come on down, come share. And she'd just sit there like this, nope, not doing it. I mean, she's like five and six, not doing it, no, not doing it. And he'd just be like, what, what, come on, come tell me your card. No, Santa. And literally, she, she said, this is, this is creepy. Not doing it. No. <laughs> and so they would have this dialogue that play out in the mall that everyone could hear, right? Everyone's hearing this. And like, he's like, come on, well, don't you want a candy cane? She's like, not if I have to come down. No, no. And so he's like, do you, what do you want me to do your candy? And she, just, she finally just yelled, throw it. Just throw it. Throw me the candy cane. If you really want me to have it, just throw it to me. And every year it would play out with our Santa tradition. And I, don't you think, though, it is an interesting tradition to sit, and I always, this is where my mind is, sorry you're getting the inner workings of my mind. Uh, 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 let's say this alien nation just lands on, on our world, a very peaceful one, not Independence Day, right? Very peaceful, they come and they're like, hey, what do you do this time of year? Well, let me tell you about it. We take our kids to this mall, uh, to the stranger. The stranger is dressed in a cigar robe. Uh, he has a big beard, right? um, <laughs> Not really the fittest. Um, and so you sit in there. Oh, do you know this? No, we don't know him. Your kids don't know? No, no, no. We, we, we put them on his lap to tell them everything they want. Okay, all right. Your kids enjoy that. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, right? <laughs> Not necessarily, right? Like, right? Like, you'll be like, they probably look at you a little like, that's a weird tradition, right? It's a weird tradition. We have so many traditions with Christmas. And, and, and what I love is that Alan shared that story that I don't know if you all knew this coming out. Maybe many of you did, that so many of our Traditions, especially with Santa Claus, are rooted in this man from Mira, a town in modern-day Turkey, St. Nicholas. And we've been in a series called No Jesus, No, and where we've kind of thought about what if that baby never had been born in that manger? What if that story never took place? What would that look like? We've talked about, well, if there's no Jesus, there would be no New Testament. There would be no hope of restoration. There would be no forgiveness. There would be no Jesus and no gospel. There would be no church and the mission of the church uh, delivering that story into the community around us and showing hope and love and joy to others around us. That would not exist. There'd be no human rights that Levi did so well. And last week, Laura did no carols. And today, we're, we're, we're kicking around the idea if, if there was no Jesus, there would be no Saint Nicholas of Mira. And what that means is there wouldn't be this, this, this idea uh, of sacrificing what I want for the benefit of those around me, to, to, to go out and deliver hope and shine a bright light into the dark recesses of our community for Christ. And so many of the traditions of, uh, of Santa Claus have come from this man. Uh, hanging stockings comes from the tradition of St. Nicholas. The idea of a man delivering presents to all the kids in the world is from the idea of St. Nicholas bringing gifts to orphan boys and girls who could so, so much needed love and value and worth, and he did that with his very life. But not just him, so many have come, whether it be Saint Mother Teresa of Calcutta, fill in the blank, so many have decided that I wanna forego what might be uh, culturally acceptable to chase after the light of Christ and to reflect that light into the life of those around me. 
And so today, I, w- I want to talk about this. I want us to talk a lot, as, you, as I've been up here before many times, and I talk about how we are dualistic beings, right? You see this in Scripture that we are of spirit and we are of flesh. The flesh side of us is, is what beckons to the darkness and to the world around us, where the spirit is drawn to the things uh, of Christ and his words and his truth. And so we, we walk with this tension. You also see this play out in Scripture with the use of light and darkness, Light and darkness. Light is referenced some 250 times in Scripture, and conversely, darkness is referenced just, almost just as many times as well. And so what would cause a man like Satan, Nick, as you heard, not, not someone who was unaware of darkness, and you heard that story that he was raised in a Christian home, he was shared the light of Christ and how important it was for their family, and then one day darkness enveloped him as his parents were taken from this life at a very young age. But what I'm fascinated by with St. Nicholas at a young age was that the darkness didn't define him. That this could have been an opportunity for him to sit back and say, you know what, this is too much. I wasn't prepared for this. This is wrong. This is awful. I'm, I'm just gonna just remain in darkness. He said, no, this is time for me to carry the light what my parents have passed down and I can't wait to take this light even though it's, this is awful circumstances but I'm still gonna take this light and shine it bright into the community around me. It's because people like St. Nicholas and those maybe many here today that know of this light, the light of Christ, know what that means for you personally. That as we read through the beginning of God's rescue plan in Genesis 1, that darkness came in, brokenness entered the world, sin entered the world, and as you read through the pages of the Old Testament, you have a God who is a guiding light to his people, but darkness constantly trips them up left and right. And then we come to the end of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, and we have this interesting, this, this phase called the intertestamental period, where it's like believed to be kind of this, this quiet time. Where is God talking? Is God moving? Where is God? Where, where is he right now? Until eventually uh, a bright light pierces the darkness and a baby is born in a manger. And God's rescue plan has taken full force. And light is coming in. You see, it's the reminder from the very beginning of this truth is that we know this, that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We hear it over and over. A light has come. A bright, shining light out of the city of Bethlehem has come. He is the light of the world. You will see this over and over in Scripture where he references this himself. John 8 says this, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says again in John 9, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the guiding light. I am light. Those who are drawn to me, those who decide to follow me, will no longer live in darkness. And St. Nicholas knew this, and so he knew of this truth, and so he then wanted to reflect that truth wherever he went. And so there's some things we need to know today about light and darkness and because I'm a dork, I put a chart together, okay? I'm kind of dorky. This is how it goes, right? That in Scripture, when you read about light and you read about darkness, it has these connotations. You can see this. I put some references here um, if, if you're interested in dorky things like I am, right? And so when you read of light in Scripture, light is always referenced with God. God is light. It's of God. I just share that with you, that Jesus said that. I am the light of the world. He is saying, I am light. 
It is of God. Micah 7, 8 says this, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord, again, will be my light. Conversely, darkness is of the enemy. Look at this, where the church is exploding and they're taking the message of Christ, this light of life, into these Gentile cities, those who are non-Jews. They're taking them into these foreign cities. He is saying, yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Darkness, the enemy, light, God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place amongst God's people who are set apart by faith. You see this play out over and over. Light is of God, darkness is of the enemy. And so if that's true, as we know, then these things then will fall in line by what we know of God and what we fall, know about the enemy. Light brings life. God is the light. God brings life. You see that play out in Matthew and John and Colossians and other places. Conversely, if darkness is of the enemy, darkness is death. It brings death rather than life. Light is truth. You live in a day and age today that you hear this over and over and over. It's like the zeitgeist of our culture. Live your truth. Live your truth. Who cares? Very existential. Do your own thing. Live your truth. Here's the thing. My truth falls far short of what Christ's truth is. My challenge is this to you. If you hear that, live your truth. No, you live his truth. His truth supersedes what Eric wants. Eric's truth will fall short. Eric's truth will be broken. Eric's truth will be very much rooted in my fleshly desires more than what Christ would want for me. And if I'm to live that out, that is a path of destruction. I don't want to do that. I need to sacrifice. I need to nail that to a cross, and I need to live his truth. Follow his truth, not my truth. You see, darkness brings lies. We know this. We know this about the enemy, that he is the father of lies and deception. It shows it in Scripture. Ephesians 5 says this about truth. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only, there it is, what is good and right and true. There's only one truth, and that's Christ's truth. You see, darkness is of the enemy. He is about death. He's not about life. He's about getting you to death. How can I get you there? Well, let me manipulate you and spread lies to you. And you see this play out in the garden, right? Early on, as the source of darkness creeps in with Adam and Eve, and what's he do? Just, he just bends the narrative slightly. He brings lies and deceit in hopes of tripping them up, which he does, and man, darkness floods in. You see it again in the temptation of Christ, right? When his ministry has just begun, he's fresh off being baptized, where God says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. You would do well to listen to him. And then he sets off to the wilderness, which the wilderness in Scripture and in ancient Judaism was viewed as this wild, foreboding place of darkness where you don't want to be. And while he is there, here he comes, ushering in his darkness, and he's bending truth, and he's trying to manipulate Christ to give in to his narrative, to buy his truth. And Christ beats him back over and over with what? Scripture Scripture, Scripture, he brushes back, he knocks back the lies and deceit because he knows that is of darkness and he is a creature of light. Over and over and over. 
See, light is morality in Scripture. Those who walk in light, walk in the ways of Christ, right? If you're walking in the light of Christ, you're walking in his footsteps. You're using his words, his thoughts, his actions. You're walking in morality. That's righteousness. That's holiness. Holiness is a word that we tend to, to think is too big. No, all that means is that you're set apart. You are different. You're not like the darkness and immorality around you in the world today. We live a different light. We are lights of justice. We live in the kingdom of Christ, and his kingdom is just and right. Those who carry the light need to be about those things. And darkness is about immorality. On top of that, you have this, this, this sense of light as wisdom, verse foolishness. Solomon talks about this. In Ecclesiastes, you'll see these words very simply. He says, I saw that wisdom is better than foolishness, folly, just as light is better than darkness. Light, wisdom, darkness, foolishness. Light is wisdom. Light is belief. Ephesians says this about light and dark. For once you were full of darkness. We all were. We all were. Before the story, before the message of Christ is good news, it has to be bad news first. Bad news is I am broken. Darkness is what I'm drawn to. Lord, help me, right? But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true again. Over and over and over. You see, the duality of us, the struggle with us is this. That I desire to be, I desire to be like Christ. I want to walk as Christ walked. I want to talk like he talked. I want to think like he thought. The problem is I walk with flesh as well, and that part of me is drawn to darkness. That's why, and you all know this too well, we all have been there. Maybe you are there right now. Maybe you walked in today just enveloped by darkness. You don't know where to turn, and this was like, man, today I, I, I don't know what to do. I need a guiding light. See, we are drawn to darkness. That's why it's so easy for Eric can sit here and have spiraling self-doubt and negative self-talk. It's so easy to move into the darkness. It's why it's so easy for hundreds of people to move, to dehumanize and devalue somebody they don't agree with. It's why it is so easy to lean into greed and to lust. Fill in the blank because we have this dualistic nature about us. And each day when we wake up and set our feet on the ground, we decide today, am I gonna be a creature of light or is the darkness going to prevail today? And the struggle's real. It's very real. I'm not texting, I promise. I just lost, I just lost my remote control. <laughs> you guys texting while teaching? That's incredible. <laughs> Hold on, I'll get back to you in a minute. <laughs> Don't worry, it's, it's on. Do not disturb. Okay. But this is an important reminder as you walk in here. Well, I love this season of Christmas as a reminder of light and darkness. We light up our homes, the tree in our rooms. It's a beautiful reminder about the greater thing that is going on where Christ is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. But this is something that in me and in you plays out every day, every hour, every minute. What is going to win that battle? But here's the thing that to remind and encourage is that it's this, that light, light supersedes darkness. There's nowhere in scripture where you're like, these two are kind of simple. No, 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 light supersedes. These are, are, aren't remotely equal in power. Light wins. And as believers, we are to be in the light as Christ is in the light. And so here's the thing. We walk in light, we follow light, 
We follow the light of life. It's not about just absorbing this light and that's it. We now have a calling on our lives because of this. There's a calling on us that we have a mission because of this life. And Jesus talks about this to his followers. If you remember, again, this thing's, this thing's not working. That's awesome. This is, this, is just, this is the darkness that's creeping in right now for me. This is super cool. Not going to work. It's okay. Come on, Lord. Shine your light bright here. Let's do this. There it is. Hey, stick with us. Stick with us. All right. Again, ministry has just begun for Jesus. He has now defeated the enemy in the wilderness. And now, this is his first sermon, if you will, his teaching to his followers. Again, the Sermon on the Mount was directed to his followers. People gathered around because this message was so attractional, what he was saying. See, the Sermon on the Mount is a time, I know a lot of people today want to talk about the Ten Commandments. Why don't we hang the Ten Commandments? Why don't we hang the Sermon on the Mount? Because this is the most important thing. The Sermon on the Mount is the mission statement of those who follow Christ. And what he's saying here is this. Listen, you, you followers of me, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us today. If you claim to be in the light, you have a mission. And here it is. You are the light of the world. And he gives three examples. Here's how this plays out. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Think about this. In that day where you are journeying, you are walking most places, you are riding donkey, camel, whatever it is, everywhere, and your journey could take many days through some of the most treacherous paths in the wilderness. Pitch black. You don't know where you're going, and all of a sudden, this city on a hill materializes, and what is that going to bring for you? As you get closer, that's a source of hope. Like a ship that has gone astray and you find that island, right? You have found hope. There's the city. That's my destination. I'm getting closer and I cannot wait to get there. That's what he is saying. He says that the same thing. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. What he's saying is those who carry my light, those who walk in my light, you will not, you don't hide this. You don't cover it up. No, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You are to shine it bright to help others be guided so they don't break their pinky toe over a stool as they walk through the house, right? And I jokingly say that, but it's the same thing spiritually. You shine your light bright to help others and to guide their footsteps so they do not get hurt. He continues on in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father in heaven. Jesus says you have a mission. If you follow me and my ways, this is your mission. You are to be a shining light for me into the community around you. You are to be the proverbial lighthouse on the shore warning sailors of imminent danger. A city on a hill a light and a house. It's our mission. It's our goal. And light has many functions. If we are to carry this light, light guides straight out, right? It's just obviously you click on your lights, your headlights at night to help guide you to avert disaster while you're driving at night. You light up your house so you know where to go so you don't run into walls. That would be awful and hilarious at the same time. You light up uh, the night, right, with, with, with a searchlight or a lighthouse, the stars guided many sailors because, hey, the light guides. The light of Christ is a guiding light that keeps us from spiritual danger. And you, too, could be a guide if you shine your light bright. Light exposes darkness. 
This is huge. This is huge. Like I said earlier, we have a bent towards darkness, and, and the enemy will never stop spreading lies and deceit. The enemy will try to derail you every day, whether in a conversation, whether at work, whether with your family, whether with your spouse, with your friend, whatever it is. He is always, and culture is the loud, I, I believe, the, the, the voice box of that. Every day you have mixed messages sent to you to try to steer you off the right path. And light's goal is to expose the darkness. John 1.5 says this, the light shines in the darkness, and what? The darkness is not overcome it. Again, these aren't equal in power. If you shine a bright light into darkness, darkness cannot overcome it. Ephesians 5.11 says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. When darkness creeps in, shine a light on it. Expose it. You see, it's, it's hard because I don't know if you're like me, and I've shared this many times, that when all this got started a couple years ago with the pandemic, darkness very much overwhelmed. I did. I lost my way. I was questioning what I'm doing. I was considering being done with it. I need a new career path. Not, not being done with faith, but being like, I don't think this is where I need to be anymore. I don't know, Lord. And I'm having these questions that I've never had before. I'm having dialogues that I've never had before. And darkness creeped in and enveloped. And what happens is this, if you're like me, when darkness comes in, the first thing we tend to sacrifice is the source of light. I notice that day after day after day, my routines and my habits, where I would sit with Christ, when I sit with the light, would just be, ah, I'm done with that today. I'll do it tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, next week, next month, and now I'm cutting out that source of light that helps expose darkness. Maybe you know someone, maybe this is you as well, when you choose to walk in darkness, you are aware for a little bit that you're walking in darkness, for a little bit. And when you're doing that, generally you cut out, again, the source of light, and sometimes that is your healthy community around you. Because darkness desires some things out of you. It desires for you to buy the lies and the manipulation. It desires isolation. It desires shame and guilt. And so what happens is when darkness creeps in, you tend to cut off not only the source of light, whether that's scripture or your prayer time, or maybe that's getting to church where, where you're with other people of light and a message of light that could help reset you for that week, but also you cut out your support group. This was young Eric years ago, and I tend to do that every now and then because my personality wires me that way. I'm more, of an, I'm more of an individualistic person anyway. And so what happens is when darkness creeps in, we tend to cut off all source of light. Maybe you're in a sin pattern right now, you're doing things you know you shouldn't do, but you know what, I'm gonna surround myself with people that'll help encourage that. And the people that'll call me out and be a good accountability partner in my life, I, nah, I'll push them away. Source of light has been cut off altogether and darkness is sitting there. The enemy behind it can't wait. Oh man, this is an opportunity. I am just going to envelop him. See, darkness exposes, or light exposes darkness, but you have to be a creature of light. You have to remain connected to the source of light. Light is also transferable, Right? You shine a light in a room, it lights up other things, whether it's a, a flashlight or whether you turn a light on, it, it, it transfers. Like Other things light up. There's this cool story that plays out in Exodus 34 
where Moses is back up on Mount Sinai. He's back up because he came down once with the tablets and he was very upset because they were worshiping false gods, the golden calf, and he threw the tablets down in a fit of rage and they broke. He was very upset with them, but also laughed and said, man, you just broke those tablets, man. Right? He probably was like, oh. Then he has to go back up. <laughs> Gotta go back up and get them again. Right? So he goes back up, spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. As God... As they, as they redo the tablets, as he passes down other instructions on like how to build a tabernacle and things like that. But he's there for 40 days and 40 nights and something incredible happens. Light transfers. Because as he descends the mountain, it says that his face was lit because he was in the presence of the source of light. His light shone with the radiance, the glory of God. And so he came down and it says everybody was kind of freaked out. Like, dude, your face is lit up. It's like you got an amazing suntan burn right now. What is going on? This is weird. And then he, ter- he shares with them about this, this guiding light, this, the glory of God. In fact, there are many saints throughout all of history that many people have said because they are so connected in the presence of God that it's like their face literally shone with the glory of God. See, light is transferable. My question to you is, does your light shine, does your face shine bright with the radiance of Christ? Are you in his presence? Do you soak it up? And then because of that, you reflect that light to others around you, much like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Are we to reflect the glory of God? Light is also brings about growth. It promotes growth. Right? A plant can grow in the sliverest of light in a cave as long as it has that light to promote growth. Light grows. When you live in the light of Christ and you stay connected to that light, it helps you grow. It helps us increase our wattage. We grow. But not only that, when you shine your light bright to others around you and your social groups and social circles, you help others grow as well. There's this scene in, in Acts 8, it's really cool, that there's this Ethiopian man, and, and the context is he is reading uh, the, prof, the book of Isaiah. That he's got the book of Isaiah. He's reading about the prophecy of Jesus, the suffering servant. And he's reading it. And all of a sudden, Philip, one of the apostles, comes along and sees that he's reading, but kind of picks up that, it's something in the spirit that he's struggling with what he's reading. And he even asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I? This is a really cool scene. That it, and it shows that Philip sits down with him and explains that story to him. What is going on here? See, Philip stopped and shined his light to help this young man grow. And then after, that man was like, can I be baptized? And then the crazy scene, Philip is star-tracked out of there, literally like gone, disappears, he's gone. But because he stopped and shone his light, it helped this man grow. See, that's what light does. It promotes growth. You can be a part of that. Light awakens I remember every morning in high school, my mother would come in blaring music and flipping the lights on in my room to wake me up, which failed every time. I would wake up, and five minutes later, I'm out, inevitably, you know, culminating in a glass of water to my face. Every time. She's ruthless, man. Just kidding. My mom's wonderful. She just knew this was, she was, this was a losing battle. I love sleeping. Still do. <laughs> but light awakens. Think about it. When you shine a light. And maybe for you or someone around you, it's kind of like you're in a fog. I was in a fog a year and a half ago. I was, I was, I was sleeping. I was napping. And a friend and family members as well kind of woke me up. and snapped me back and shined a light bright that brought me back out of the fog. 
That's why Ephesians 5 says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, right? If I am, if I am asleep to the light, I am, I am awake to the darkness. And so thus, I have fallen asleep. I'm in the dark right now. Rise from the dead, and it says, and Christ will give you light. It awakens. Maybe you can be that source of light for someone that kind of just snaps them back, awakens and brings them back. Maybe it's texting them, calling them. How are you doing? I miss you. You doing okay? Can I pray for you? I just heard this word of encouraging word, or you read something today and you're devotional. I'm just sending it your way to say I'm thinking of you. Could help. Light brings warmth. Light brings warmth. I do not like the winter at all. At all. I'm like an 80-year-old man, I swear. My bones hurt. I'm like, what? My mom's like, like seriously, you're like 40, 41, Eric. How are, you, how are you talking about your bones hurting in the winter? I'm like, I just can't do it. I need to go south. I need to get out, right? <laughs> right? Like, I just, but for me, what I love the most is sitting around a fire. I love it. It brings warmth. The radiating warmth of that fire is great. It brings warmth. And we know this, right, on a, on a scientific side of things, that, that vitamin D and sunshine brings health. It is healing. It can restore bones. It can heal faster. That light brings warmth. It brings health. Think about this. Venture with me to a city of Mira in Turkey. Kids in an orphanage where society has just given up on them. They're done with them because they weren't deemed that valuable. The cold and the darkness of that reality. And here comes a man. Who knows? Each and every day who comes in and says, no, 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 no. You are unbelievably worthy. You have incredible value. I see you, I know you, I love you, and so does our creator. Could you imagine the warmth that would bring? See, light brings warmth. and our culture more than ever, our waking moments needs warmth more than ever. Darkness pervades, it is everywhere, it is left and right in our news, in our music, in our movies, it's in our working relationships, it's in everywhere you go. A society dying for warming light and hope and love. I'm from Kentucky and this week was a very dark week for Kentucky. That's Friday night as storms ravaged decimating cities left and right. And there was this scene, this journalist caught it, it was unreal. I saw it late last night, so I didn't throw it in. It was just destruction everywhere in Mayfield, Kentucky, a city completely leveled. And in the destruction sat a church bus. He snaps this picture of all of this timber and, and two-by-fours on this bus, but what you can clearly see is John 3.16. Unbelievable message. And in the midst of darkness, there's a word there reminding you of just there is light. Even though adversity and awfulness and tragedy besets you, there is light. I went to the doctor's office Monday morning. My back was killing me because I'm like an old man, obviously, all of a sudden. And got roided up, so I'm roided up right now. It's great. Um, and so I went in, and I think people think like, I am extroverted, but I, I'm not. I can do it. I, ba- I have to balance that with periods on end of myself just watching football or whatever. Right? Got to recharge it. Like, I don't live for the extroversion, but I can do it. 
And so I went in Monday, and the ladies were there at the doctor's office, and I just love, I really do, I really do say to myself, when I enter a space, how can I bring warmth and joy? I try, because I know we are all dealing with something unbelievable. And so I walked in, said, what's up, ladies? How are we doing? Doing all right? And you know, you can feel it. Uh, not, not really, but they kind of reciprocated. I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know. I just want to let you know that I can't imagine what you're dealing with on the day-to-day. And that every day, absolutely, you are the forefront of my mind and my prayers, all healthcare workers. I pray for you. And I am so, so grateful for what you do. Because today I'm going to get relief. <laughs> but it, I just looked at them and I, said, and I just said this. And this lady who was on a computer over here with her back to me just slowly, creepily spun around. And just like cross-eyed stared at me. Like, what? And it was just, it was unbelievable the dialogue we then had after that. I mean, guys, it's not hard. It's really not hard. You go through the Starbucks drive-thru and the barista slightly messes up your drink. Could be a time of graceful light shining. How about the young teenager who bags your groceries and does that hours on end. A, a, a jo- maybe a joyless job, probably a joyless job. And you look at that teenager and you say, thank you for what you do. I appreciate you. It's light and darkness. It's going through the bank. It's going through the traffic and, and traffic is not working well. And instead of letting them know how awful they are with a certain salute, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's just like, you know, I don't know, a graceful nod. Guys, it's a ripple effect that our culture needs more than ever right now. And it starts with you. It starts with saying, hey, just like St. Nick, I'm gonna take this light that I'm fully aware of, that has been helpful in my life, that brings restoration in my life, forgiveness in my life, grace into my life, and I am now gonna reflect it to you because Christ does it for me, I'm gonna do it for you. And I'm not gonna do it because Eric gets recognition. I'm gonna do it because it's him, because I can't do it. And so as we wrap up, see, for those who walk in light and follow the light of life, every day we are encouraged to grow our wattage, right? To grow our wattage, to increase in wattage. I don't know where you're at. Maybe today, maybe this week, you've just discovered the socket to screw it in, and that's awesome. That is awesome. Maybe today you're about a 10, 10 watt, but hey, you're 20, 30, 40, 60. Some of you are very outspoken and outgoing and you're a thousand watt, man, that's great. Here's the deal. All, no matter the wattage, it's all beneficial. No matter where you are. But the challenge is to grow each day. There's some days where Eric is 60, many days that bulb has busted <laughs> and I gotta screw in a new one. And so these are our way. We hear us talk about it here at Southport quite a bit. How do we increase in wattage? It's sitting in the light of life. It's sitting in scripture, which is his words. This is God's words. This is where we receive light. That light that we receive that'll help expose darkness, whether it's convicting, whether it's uh, holding me accountable, whether it's encouraging and affirming scripture. Solitude is where we sit in quiet. We have conversation with the source of light. We pray. We remove distractions, right? We are distracted into digital oblivion left and right, media oblivion, political oblivion, fill in the blank. And this is where we remove that because a lot of times that can be a source of darkness into our life. And so we sit and cultivate light in the quiet. Support is where we talk about having healthy relationships in your life, people of the light that come around you and that are sources of light for you. Because what's better than one beam on darkness 
It's multiple beams together, growing in intensity. Support is important. Do not give in to the enemy who is encouraging you to isolate in the midst of darkness, to be full of guilt and shame. That is not the way of light. That is the way of darkness. Service is where we take this light and we then give it out. That is St. Nicholas. That is Mother Teresa. That is Bog Ministries. That is City Lights. That is the church. That is our mission. Be a city on a hill, a lampstand, and a home. If you've been with us the past few weeks here at Southbrook, we have been encouraging everyone to join us in a reading plan, plus nothing. The leadership team, we sat down, we said, hey, wouldn't it be great if our entire church, we all came together and just, just, just poured over the story of Jesus. And this little booklet is that. It's Jesus' birth to resurrection. And if you haven't done it, man, it's okay. If you want to jump in, you can absolutely jump in. We have so many of these for this reason. Not just for this season, but for seasons to come. And inside of that was a QR code, and we created these six videos. We did an awesome, Bailey did an awesome job capturing these videos. Charlie did a great job pouring content in these videos. Laura wrote the content. It was just so good, these six videos, to help supplement the reading, to bring questions and cues for you, either introspectively or maybe in a group if you were reading it. And you can access, access those through that QR code or our YouTube page or our website. But here's the deal. We wanted this to culminate in something really cool in the final week. We're asking you, if you will, if you will so willingly pray this week about who you think could benefit from this light. Maybe it's a friend who is in utter darkness and, and is desperately in need of light. Maybe it's a friend that needs to be woken up. Maybe it's a friend that walks in light and this is a great thing to encourage. I don't know. But we're encouraging you to pray intentionally this week, to think about who could benefit from this light. And then during Unexpected, as we have seven services going on, we're going to have the Plus Nothing booklets out there stacked and ready for any, anybody. If you want one, take one. You want 50, take 50. We have, I have a guy, an FCA leader here in the area, Todd Pickthorne, took 200 and has passed them out to all these teams he leads. It's amazing. I envision these things sitting on a gas pump, someone rolling up like, what is this book? Who knows? Boom. QR code is scanned, and man, that takes them off into a whole new world of light. You can be a source of that. So we encourage you to pray about that. Next week, come, grab some booklets and pass them out. Don't Bible thump. That's not what we're doing. Right? That's not what we're doing. We're giving hope and light to others in darkness. I also need to remind you, uh, because it would be very disappointing if you're not aware of this, <laughs> that for the next two Sundays, we don't have regular services. So if you show up at 9, 30, 11, you're going to be very upset and darkness is going to pour in. Encourage you as we wrap up, as you know, we have communion in the corners of the room. Communion is that time where we remember the light that was given, the light that pierced the darkness for you and me and was pierced for us. The three days later out of the grave, light poured out and defeated darkness. Man, be Saint Nicholas, be Mother Teresa, be everything you can be, be you. You don't need to be them. Be you this week. As you walk into the darkness, shine the light bright of Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this church and these people and all the families represented. I thank you for the one person who is walking in, maybe in need of a guiding light, as much as I thank you for the person walking in that knows all too well that guiding light. And I pray that Southbrook is this epicenter, this, this lighthouse in our community, averting people from disaster, I thank you that Jesus was your rescue plan 
light piercing the darkness, that that light is for everyone. There is no one privileged enough for it, and there's no one outside of it. It's for everyone, no matter the darkness. And I pray that we do well to reflect the light of Christ in all that we do and say and think. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Southbrook, so much.